Chapter 10 of Stand By for Mars. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Sean O'Hara. Stand By for Mars by Kerry Rockwell. Chapter 10. Next event will be. Warren Officer McKenney's voice boomed over the loudspeaker and echoed over the Academy Stadium. Last semifinal round of Mercury Ball. Polaris Unit versus Arcturus Unit. As 2,000 space cadets crowded in the grandstands watching the annual academy tournament rose to their feet and cheered lustily, Tom Corbett turned to his unit mates, Astro and Roger, and called enthusiastically, Okay, fellows, let's go out there and show them how to play this game. During the two days of the tournament, Tom, Roger, and Astro, competing as a unit against all the other academy units, had piled up a tremendous amount of points in all the events. But so had Unit 77K, now known as the Capella Unit. Now, with the Capella unit already in the finals, the Polaris crew had to win the semi-final round against Arcturus in order to meet the Capella in the final round for Academy Honors. This is going to be a cinch, boasted Astro. I'm going to burn him up. Save it for the field, said Tom with a smile. Yeah, you big Venusian ape, added Roger. Make points instead of space gas. Stripped to the waist, wearing shorts and soft three-quarter length space boots, the three boys walked out onto the sun-baked field amid the rousing cheers from the stands. Across the field, the cadets of the Arcturus unit walked out to meet them, stopping beside McKenny in the midfield line. Mike waited with six boys to form a circle around him while he held the mercury ball, a twelve-inch plastic sphere filled with air and the tricky tube of mercury. You all know the rules, announced Mike abruptly. Head, shoulders, feet, or any part of the body except your hands can touch the ball. Polaris unit will defend the north goal, he said, pointing towards the white chalk line fifty feet away. Arcturus, the south and he pointed to a line equally distant in the opposite direction. Five-minute periods with one-minute rest in between. All clear? As captain of the Polaris unit, Tom nodded while smiling at the captain of the Arcturus team, a tow-headed boy with short, chunky legs named Skahari. All clear, Mike. All clear here, Mike, responded Skahari. All right, shake hands and take your places. The six boys shook hands and jogged towards their respective opposite lines. Mike waited for them to reach their goal lines and place his ball in the middle of the chalk-drawn circle. Towing the line, Tom, Roger, and Astro eyed the Arcturus crew and prepared for the dash to the ball. All right, fellas, urged Tom. Let's show them something. Yeah, breathed Astro. Just let me get these size 13s on that pumpkin before it starts twisting around. Astro wanted the advantage of the first kick of the ball while the mercury tube inside was still quiet. Once the mercury was agitated, the ball would be as easy to kick as well-greased steel. We'll block for you, Astro. And he put every ounce of beef you've got into that first kick. If we're lucky, we might be able to get the jump on them. Cut the chatter, snapped Roger nervously. Baldy's ready to give us the go-ahead. Standing on the sidelines, Warrant Officer McKenney slowly raised his hand, and the crowd in the grandstand hushed in eager anticipation. A second passed, and then there was a tremendous roar as he brought his hand down and blew heavily on the whistle. Running as if their lives depended on it, the six cadets of the two units raced headlong towards the ball. Tom, just a little faster than Roger or Astro, flashed down the field and veered off to block the advancing Skahari. Roger, following him, charged into Swift, the second member of the Arcturus crew. Astro, a few feet in back of them, running with surprising speed for his size, saw that it was going to be a close race between himself and Alan, the third member of the Arcturus unit. He bowed his head and drove himself harder, the roar of the crowd filling his ears. Go, Astro! Go, Astro! Pounding down for the kick, Astro gauged his stride perfectly, and with one last mighty leap swung his right foot at the ball. There was a loud thud drowned by the roar of the crowd as the ball sailed over the ground with terrific force. 
And then, almost immediately, there was another thud as Allen rose up in a desperate leap to block the ball with his shoulder. It crumbed off at a crazy angle, wobbled in its flight as Mercury within rolled from side to side. Swift of the Arcturus crew reached the ball first and sent it sailing at an angle over Tom's head to bounce thirty feet away. Seeing Astro charge the ball, Tom threw a block at Allen to knock him out of the play. The big Venusian, judging his stride to be off a little, shortened his steps to move in for the kick. But just as he brought his foot forward to make contact, the ball spun away to the left. Astro's foot continued in perfect arc over his head, throwing him in a heap on the ground. Two thousand voices from the stands roared out in one peal of laughter. While Astro lay on the ground with the wind knocked out of him, Skohari and Swift converged on the ball. With Astro down and Tom out of position, the Arcturus unit seemed certain for scoring. But again the ball rolled crazily, this time straight to Roger, the last defender. He nudged it between his opponents towards Tom, who, in turn, kicked it obliquely past Allen, back to Roger again. Running with the grace and speed of an antelope, the blonde cadet met the ball in midfield, and when it dropped to the ground in front of him, sent it soaring across his goal with one powerful kick. As the cadets in the stand sent up a tumultuous cheer for the perfectly executed play, the whistle blew, ending the period in the Polaris unit led one to nothing. Breathing deeply, Astro and Roger flopped down near Tom and stretched full length on the grass. That was a beautiful shot, Roger, said Tom. Perfectly timed. Yeah, hot shot, agreed Astro. I'm glad to see that big head of yours is good for something. Listen, fellas, said Roger eagerly, ignoring Astro. To go into the finals against Richards and Capelli unit, we've got to beat our Archurus crew, right? Yeah, agreed Tom. And it won't be easy. We just happen to get the brakes. Then why don't we put the game on ice, said Roger freeze the ball we got em one to nothing that's enough to beat them when the whistle blows it's over we win astro looked at tom who frowned and replied but we've still got three periods left roger it isn't fair to freeze this early in the game if it was the last minute or so sure but not so early it just isn't fair what do you want to do snarled roger win or play fair win of course but i want to win the right way said tom how about you astro i feel the same way that tom does said the big cadet. We can beat these guys easily and on the square. You guys make it sound like I was cheating, snapped Roger. Well, said Tom, it sure isn't giving the Arcturus guys a break. The whistle blew for them to return to the goal line. Well, asked Roger, do we freeze or don't we? I don't want to, but majority always rules in this unit, Roger. Tom glanced at Astro. How about it, Astro? We can beat them fair and square. We'll play all out, answered Astro. Roger didn't say anything. He moved to one side and took his position for the dash downfield. The whistle blew again, and the crowd roared as two teams charged towards the ball. The cadets were eager to see if the Arcturus crew could tie the score, or if the crew of the Polaris would increase its lead. But after a few moments of play, their cries of encouragement subsided into rumbles of discontent. In its eagerness to score, the Arcturus unit kept making errors and lost the ball constantly. But the crew of the Polaris failed to capitalize. The second period ended with the score unchanged. As he slumped to the ground for the rest period, Astro turned on Roger bitterly. What's the idea, Manning? You're dogging it. You play your game, Astro, replied Roger calmly. I'll play mine. We're playing this game as a team, Roger, chimed in Tom heatedly. You're kicking that ball all over the lot. Yeah, added Astro. In every direction except the goal. I was never clear, defended Roger. I didn't want to lose possession of the ball. You sure didn't, said Tom. You acted as if it was your best friend and never wanted to be separated from it. We said we didn't want to freeze this game, Roger, and we meant it. Astro glowered at his unit mate. Next period, you show us some action. If you don't want to score, feed it to us and we'll save you the trouble. But the third period was the same. 
While Tom and Astro dashed up and down the field, blocking out members of the Arcturus crew to give Roger a clear shot, he simply nudged the ball back and forth between the sidelines, ignoring his teammates' pleas to drive forward. As the whistle sounded for the end of the period, boos and catcalls from the grandstands filled the air. Tom's face was an angry red as he faced Roger again on the sidelines during the rest period. You hear that, Roger? he growled, nodding his head towards the stands. That's what they think of your smart playing. What do I care? replied the blonde cadet arrogantly. They're not playing this game. I am. And we are, too. Astor's voice was a low rumble as he came up behind Manning. If you don't give us a chance, so help me, I'll use your head for a ball. If you're so interested in scoring, why don't you go after the ball yourselves, then? said Roger. Because we're too busy trying to be a team, snapped Tom. We're trying to clear shots for you. Don't be so generous, sneered Roger. I'm warning you, Roger. Astro glared at the arrogant cadet. If you don't straighten out and fly right... McKinney's whistle from the far sideline suddenly sounded, interrupting the big cadet, and three boys trooped back out on the field again. Again, the air was filled with boos and shouts of derision, and Tom's face flushed with shame. This time, when McKinney's hand flashed downward, Tom streaked for the ball instead of the Skohari, his usual opponent. He measured his stride carefully and reached the ball in perfect kicking position. He felt the satisfying thud against his foot and saw the ball shoot out high in front of him and head for the goal line. It was a beautiful kick, but then the ball suddenly sank, its flight altered by the action of the mercury. Running downfield, Tom saw Swift and Allen meet the ball together. Allen blocked it with his chest and crumbed it over to Swift. Swift let the ball drop to the ground, drawing his foot back to kick. But again, the mercury changed the ball's action, twisting it to one side, and Swift's kick caught it on the side. Instead of the ball going downfield, it veered to the left, into the path of Astro. Quickly getting his head under it, he shifted it to Roger, who streaked in and stopped it with his hip. But then, instead of passing ahead to Tom, who by now was down the field in the open, Roger prepared to kick the goal himself. Tom shouted a warning, but it was too late. Skihari came rushing in behind him, and at a running stride, bent the ball squarely with his right foot. It sailed high in the air and over the Polaris goal line, just as his whistle blew. The game was tied. That was some play, Manning, said Astro, when they were lined up, waiting for the next period to begin. You asked for it, snapped Roger. You were yapping at me to play, and now look at what's happened. Listen, you loudmouth punk, said Astro, advancing towards the smaller cadet. But just then the whistle blew, and three boys ran out onto the field. The Arcturus crew swept down the field quickly, heading for the ball and seemingly ignoring the Polaris unit. But Skihari slipped and fell on the grass and gave Tom a clear shot at the ball. He caught it with the side of his boot and passed it toward Roger. But Allen, at full speed, came in and intercepted, sending the ball in a crazy succession of twists and turns and bounces. The crowd came to its feet as all six cadets made a desperate attempt to clear the skittering ball, with none of them so much as touching it. This was the part of Mercury Ball that pleased the spectator. Finally, Skihari managed to get a toe on it, and he sent it downfield, but Astro had moved out to play defense. He stopped the ball with his shoulder and dropped it to the ground. Steadying it there, he waited until Tom was in the clear and kicked it forty yards to the midfield stripe. The crowd came to its feet, sensing the final drive might mean victory for the Polaris crew. The boys of the Arcturus swarmed in, trying to keep Tom from scoring. With a tremendous burst of speed, Tom reached the ball ahead of Skihari, and with the strength of desperation, he slammed his foot against it. The whistle blew, ending the game as the ball rose in an arc down the field and fell short of the goal by ten feet. There was a groan from the crowd. But suddenly the ball, still reacting to the mercury inside, spun like a top, rolled sideways, and as if it were being blown by a breeze, rolled towards the goal line and stopped six inches inside the white chalk line. There was a moment's pause as the crowd and players, stunned by the play, grasped what happened. Then, swallowing into a roar, there was a one-word chant over and over. Polaris! 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 The Polaris unit had reached the finals of the Academy Tournament.
During the intermission, Charlie Volchek, unit commander of the Capella crew, walked over to the refreshment unit behind the grandstand where Steve Strong, Dr. Dale, and Commander Walters were drinking Martian water and eating space burgers. Afternoon, Commander, saluted Volchek. Hello, Joan. Steve. Looks as though your boys and the Polaris are going to meet their match this afternoon. I gotta admit, they're good. But with Tony Richards feeding passes to Al Davison and the blocking of Scott McAvoy, the young officer broke into a grin. I don't know, Charlie. Commander Walter said with a wink to Dr. Dale. From the looks of Cadet Astro, if he ever gets his foot on the ball, your Capella unit will just have to go after it with a jet boat. My commander, replied Volchek, laughing good-naturedly, Tony Richards is one of the finest booters I've ever seen. Some make a goal from the sixty-yard line from a standstill. Steve Strong waved a Martian water pot bottle at young Volchek with a gesture of friendly derision. Did you happen to see the play in the first period, he boasted. Manning took a perfect pass from Astro and scored. You're finished, Volchek. You and your Capella unit won't even come close. From what I hear and see, Manning seems to be a little sore that he can't make all the scores himself, grinned Volchek slyly. He wants to be the whole show. Strong reddened and turned to put the empty bottle on the counter, using it as an excuse to hide his feelings from the commander and Joan. So Volchek had observed Manning's attitude and play on the field, too. Before Strong could reply, Bugle sounded from the field, and the group of Solar Guard officers returned to their seats for the final game of the tournament, between the Capella and Polaris units. Out on the field, Mike made his usual speech about playing fair and gave the cadets routine instructions of the game, reminding them that there were spacemen first, unit members second, and individuals third and last. The six boys shook hands and jogged down the field to take up their positions. How about concentrating on the passes Richards is going to feed to Davison? Tom asked his unit mates. Never mind blocking out Richards and McAvoy. Yeah, agreed Astro. Play for the ball. Sounds good to me. How about it, Roger? asked Tom. Just play the game, said Roger, and then added sarcastically, And don't forget to give them every chance to score. Let's play fair and square the way we did with the Arcturus unit. If you feel that way, Manning, answered Astro coldly, you can quit right now. We'll handle the Capella guys ourselves. Before Roger could answer, McKinney blew the whistle, and three boys lined up along the white chalk line, preparing for the dash to the ball. The cadets in the stand were hushed. McKinney's hand swept up and then quickly down as he blew the whistle. The crowd came to its feet roaring as Tom, five steps from his own goal line, tripped and fell headlong to the grass, putting him out of the first play. Astro and Roger charged down the field, with Astro reaching the ball first. He managed a good kick, but Richards, three feet away, took the ball squarely in his chest. The mercury ball fell to the ground and spun in a dizzy circle, and with a gentle tap by Richards, rolled to Davison, who took it in stride and sent it soaring for a forty-five-foot goal. The Capella unit had drawn first blood. Well, hot shot, snarled Roger back on the starting line. What happened to the big pass-stealing idea? I tripped, Manning, said Tom through clenched teeth. Yeah, tripped, sneered Roger. The whistle blew for the next goal. Tom, with an amazing burst of speed, swept down the field, Brooks tried to bring him in perfect line with the ball, and with a kick that seemed almost lazy, sent the ball from a dead standstill fifty yards over the Capella goal before any of the remaining players were within five feet of it. And the score was tied. The crowd sprang to its feet again and roared his name. That was terrific, said Astro, slapping Tom on the back as he lined up again. It looked as though you hardly kicked the ball at all. Yeah, muttered Roger. You really made yourself the grandstand's delight. What's that supposed to mean, Manning? asked Astro. Superman Corbett probably burned himself out. Let's see him keep up that speed for the next ten minutes. The whistle blew for the next goal, and again the three boys moved forward to meet the onrushing Capella unit. Richards blocked Astro with the twist of his body, and without stopping his forward motion, kicked the ball squarely towards the goal. 
It stopped ten feet short, took a dizzying spin, and rolled away from the goal line. In a flash, the six boys were around the ball, blocking, shoving, and yelling instructions to each other, while at the same time kicking at the unsteady ball. With each grazing kick, the ball went into more maddening spins and gyrations. At last, Richards caught it with the side of his foot, flipped at McAvoy, who dropped back, and with twenty feet between him and the nearest Polaris member, calmly booted it over the goal. The whistle blew, ending the first period, and the Capella unit led two to one. During the next three periods, the Capella unit worked like a well-oiled machine. Richards passed Davison or McAvoy, and when they were too well guarded, played brilliantly alone. The Polaris unit, on the other hand, appeared to be hopelessly outclassed. Tom and Astro fought like demons, but Roger's lack of interest gave the Capella unit an edge in play. At the end of the fourth period, the Capella team led by three points, seven to four. While the boys rested for the fifth and final period, Captain Strong, having watched play with keen interest, realized that Roger was not playing to his fullest capabilities. Suddenly he summoned a nearby earthworm cadet, scribbled a message on a slip of paper, and instructed the cadet to take it directly to Roger. Orders from the coach on the sidelines, asked Volchek as he noticed Strong's action. You might say that, Charlie, answered Steve blandly. On the field, the cadet messenger handed Roger a slip of paper, not mentioning that it was from Strong, and hurried back to the stands. Getting fan mail already? asked Astro. Roger ignored the comment and opened the slip of paper and read. It might interest you to know that the winning team of the Mercury Ball Finals is to be awarded first prize of three days' liberty in Adams City. There was no signature. Roger stared up into the stands and searched vainly for some indication of the person who might have sent him the note. The crowd hushed as McKinney stepped forward for the starting of the last period. What was in the note, Roger? asked Tom. The winning combination, smiled Roger lazily. Get set for the fastest game of Mercury Ball you've ever played, Corbett. You gotta pull this mess out of the fire. Bewildered, Tom looked at Astro, who merely shrugged his shoulders and took his place ready for the whistle. Roger tucked the note into his shorts and stepped up to the line. Listen, Corbett, said Roger. Every time Richards gets the ball, he kicks it to his left, and then McAvoy faints as if to get it, leaving Davison in the open. When you go to block Davison, you leave Richards in clear. He just keeps the ball. He scored three times that way. Yeah, said Tom. I've noticed that, but there's nothing I can do about it, the way you've been playing. Kind of late in the game for any new ideas, Manning, growled Astro. Just get the ball and pass it to me. That's my whole idea. Play back, Astro. Move like you're very tired, see? Then they'll forget about you and play three on two. You just be ready to kick, and kick hard. What's happened to you, Roger? asked Tom. What was in that note? Before Roger could answer, the whistle and the roar of the crowd signaled the beginning of the last period. The cadets raced down the field, Roger swerving to the left and making a feint at blocking Richards. He missed intentionally and allowed Richards to get the ball, who immediately passed to the left. McAvoy raced in on the ball. Tom made a move as if to block him, reversed, and startled the onrushing Richards with a perfect block. The ball was in the clear. Roger gave it a half-kick, and the ball landed two feet in front of Astro. The big cadet caught it perfectly on the first bounds and kicked it on the line across the goal, seventy yards away. Up in the stands, Steve Strong smiled as he watched the score change on the board. Capella 7, Polaris 5. In rapid succession, the Polaris unit succeeded in intercepting the play of the Capella unit and rolling up two more goals to an even score. Now there were only fifty-five seconds left to play. The cadets in the stand roared their approval of the gallant effort made by the three members of the Polaris crew. It had been a long time since Mercury Ball had been played with such deadly accuracy at Space Academy, and everyone who attended the game was to remember for years to come the last play of the game. McKinney blew the whistle again and the boys charged forward, but by now, aware of the sudden flash of unity on the part of the opposing team, the Capella unit fought desperately to salvage at least a tie. Tom managed to block a kick by Richards, and the ball took a dizzy hop to the left. 
landing in front of Astro. He was in the clear. The stands were in an uproar as the cadets saw the game was nearly over. Astro paused for a split second, judged the ball, and stepped forward to kick. But the ball spun away just as Astro swung his leg, and at that instant McAvoy charged in from the left, only to be blocked by Roger. But the force of McAvoy's charge knocked Roger back into Astro. Instead of kicking the ball, Astro caught Roger on the side of the head. Roger fell to the ground and lay still. He was knocked cold. Astro lost his balance, twisted on one leg unsteadily, and then fell on the ground. When he tried to get up, he couldn't walk. He had twisted his ankle. The Capelli unit members stood still, confused and momentarily unable to take advantage of their opportunity. Without a moment's hesitation, Tom swept in and kicked the ball before his opponents realized what had happened. The ball drifted up in a high arc, landed with several bounces, stopping five feet from the goal. Suddenly, Richards, McAvoy, and Davison came alive and charged after Tom, who was running for the ball as fast as his weary legs would carry him. He saw Richards pull up alongside him, then pass him. Then Davison and McAvoy closed in on either side to block and give Richards a clear shot back down the field and certain score. Richards reached the ball, stopped, and carefully lined up his kick, certain that his teammates could block out Tom. But the young cadet, in the last desperate spurt, outraced McAvoy and Davison. Then, as Richards cocked his foot to kick, Tom jumped. With a mighty, leaping dive, he sent his body hurtling headlong towards Richards, just as he kicked. Tom's body crashed into the ball and Richards. The two boys went down in a heap, but the ball chromed off his chest and rolled over the goal line. The whistle blew, ending the game. In an instant, 2,000 officers, cadets, and enlisted men went wild as the ball rolled across the goal line. The Polaris crew had won eight goals to seven. From every corner of the field, the crowd cheered the cadets who had finished the game, had won it in the final seconds with two of them sprawled on the field unconscious and a third unable to stand on his own feet. Up in the stands, Captain Strong turned to Commander Walters. He found it hard to keep his eyes from filling as he saluted briskly. Captain Strong reporting, sir, on the success of the Polaris unit to overcome their differences and become a fighting unit. And I mean fight. End of chapter 10